This episode is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for over a decade since they supplied the uniforms for Anaheim Fire when I worked out in California. And they have partnered with the Behind the Shield podcast to offer you, the listener, 15% off not just a single purchase, but an ongoing discount every time you shop at 511tactical.com. And I will give you the discount code in a moment. I just want to go on a kind of product focus for a second. In episode 125 of Behind the Shield podcast, I spoke to podiatrist Dr. Mike Donato, um, and we discussed a concern that I've had, which is the footwear uh, for first responders. If you're a firefighter, obviously, if we're doing an extrication, if we're fighting fire, our bunker boots are definitely the best things. They offer a high level of protection. But the day-to-day calls, the EMS calls, all those kind of areas, they are absolutely overkill, some of the boots that we are being given. And I wanted to find a kind of happy medium between protection and comfort as a lot of these heavy, heavy boots are causing uh, overuse injuries, knee pain, ankle pain, back pain. And 5.11 Tactical has come up with a shoe called the Norris Sneaker. Now, this has the feel literally of, of a skate shoe. It's incredibly comfortable. It has puncture protection on the bottom. It has the toe protection on the front, but they've taken a lot of the weight away and made it far more comfortable. And I think many of us will admit that as an alternative to duty boots, we turn to sneakers, which are also very comfortable, but really don't offer any protection. So this is a great happy medium between the two. If you want to see this, as I said, it's called the Norris, N-O-R-R-I-S, sneaker. Go to 511 Tactical, and that discount code that I was talking about is SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5. That will be applicable for all of your purchases. The only time that's not going to work is when they have an additional sale that's actually going to be higher. So if they're offering a 20% or 25% off, obviously that 15 is going to be invalid because you're going to get even more off. So for the Norris sneaker and all the other things that I'm going to showcase that I personally use, I'm not going to start talking about things that I don't use, but the products of theirs that I think they're amazing, um, go to 511 Tactical, put in Shield 15, and save 15% every single time. Welcome to episode 248 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I was very, very excited to welcome to not only my home, but also my home gym, CrossFit Iron Legion, Simon Neeland. Now, Simon came to our facility and put on a two-day gymnastics workshop, and I was blown away at the level of coaching that he has. There are movements, high-level movements that I can do poorly, and there are high-level movements that I cannot do And the way he broke down some of these movements made me realize that there was either a mobility issue or a strength issue in a much lower skill movement. For example, a push-up or a parallel dip um, that made me realize that it was a foundational error that was causing my inability to do some of these high-level movements. So before we get to this incredible interview where he'll obviously detail what he does and how you can also learn from this. So as I always say, please go to whichever podcast app you are listening to this on and subscribe and then leave a rating and feedback. The rating, the five-star rating specifically, makes us much more visible and easier to find for other people looking for a podcast like this. And with this being a free podcast, this is a free resource for everyone on planet Earth that needs to hear it. And then the other thing is using word of mouth, email, social media, sharing these amazing episodes. We're about to hit 250. That is an incredible encyclopedia of knowledge that I want to get to every ear hole that needs to hear it. So with that being said, I introduce to you my fellow Brit, Simon Nealon. Enjoy.
All right, so firstly, welcome to yeah. uh, to our home. Nice, I like it. You just did a, a gymnastics seminar here in Ocala, yeah. um, and uh, I participated. It was amazing. So I want to start by saying, "Awesome, good job, and thank Thanks. you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you enjoyed it. it seemed like, uh, honestly, it was. I say this every time, but the seminars keep getting better, and that was my favorite so far. Yeah, it was fun. It was a really good group of people as well. Yeah, quite yeah. international group. I mean, we had me. We yeah. had uh, another, a German. Yeah. And then there's from Iceland as well. Yeah. Yeah. Two girls from Iceland because one came on a Saturday and one came on a Sunday. It was a very international group. Yeah, it was. And I, I didn't even realize, only, I think halfway through the Saturday is when I registered that you were actually a Brit. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know why. And the whole time we were talking before the seminar, I didn't realize you were a Brit either. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, very cool. I right, you said I don't have much of a, an American accent. That was that no. was good to hear. A lot of times I get told by my fellow Brits that I sound like quote unquote a yank. <laughs> so, I don't get it at all. Yeah. I don't hear it. But you do come out with some things where it sounds like I can hear the West Country. Yes. Like bath. 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 Yeah. Sound like a sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well then I like to always start at the very beginning. Yeah. So where were you born? Essex. In Essex, okay. So tell me about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many brothers and sisters? Uh, so mum's a nurse. Um, she's retired now. Dad was a lecturer for psychology. He kind of switched. When my mum and dad met, they were living in London. Well, my mum was in Essex and my dad was in London. He was working in like the corporate world. And then um, they were working for the same company. They chatted over the phone. And then every now and again, they would meet in London at the same company and then go out. And then, and then, uh, yeah, so many years later, I was, I was born. But then after I was born, my dad wanted to change a career. He wanted to become a psychologist. And so we moved up to Yorkshire, which is the north of England, because my dad wanted was studying psychology at York University. Right. And that's, uh, that's what they do. Okay. Now, how much of his psychology world do you think permeated into the way you coach? If any, I don't know. I'm interested in psychology as well. I don't know if that's just, I don't know if that's a genetic thing, like people being predisposed to being interested in certain things. Mm -hmm. And it's not a coincidence that me and my dad are interested in similar things, but could just be coincidence. But I'm massively interested in psychology. Always have been. And I've been always been fascinated with human behavior and the way that humans interact with each other. And that's that has definitely had a, an impact on the way, the way that I coach and the way that I run classes, seminars, and one-to-one as well. Very cool. Yeah, it's always interesting to see the kind of the earlier influence, whether it was a good influence or a bad influence, you know, either way that, that shapes people as they, they move forward. You know what? Like, well, just, just quickly, I, I definitely have this thing where I definitely feel like we end up following in our parents' footsteps one way or another with certain things. I don't know how much that is with coaching, but my dad's a my dad's a lecturer he's a teacher he talks i talk a lot <laughs> and so there's definitely like there's definitely that element but then i see it in other elements of my parents life as well like you know um things that happen to them i see happening to me in my adult life is it coincidence i don't know but there's definitely there's definitely things that are mirroring right yeah interesting all right well then uh, still with your younger years so what kind of sports were you playing when you were growing up i was like a jack of all trades i was kind of i dabbled in everything 
but I didn't really have like so you talking about my parents I didn't really have my parents pushing me in any one direction in fact my mum pulled me out of gymnastics when I was young because of clicky parents that's what she says anyway and uh, it's it's often it often comes up like oh I wonder what could have been you know had I kept it up because I had a natural thing for it but I pretty much I'm of the opinion now that if I'd have kept gymnastics up as a kid all the way through to like a competitive level I wouldn't be the coach that I am today because I think I don't know that's we could go down that a little bit more if you want but that's pretty much just my opinion I, I, I attribute the way that I coach and the way people respond to my coaching as a matter of um having to learn the hard way a lot with a lot of things that wouldn't have happened had I been a great gymnastics athlete like that competed in artistic gymnastics that might not have happened um so yeah I don't know but with the other sports I was pretty much just dabbling in everything but I was never pushed in any one in any one field right and what, what age did you start gymnastics and what age were you pulled out I think very young four or five okay and probably pulled out six or seven. Oh, okay so so kind of early early yeah, yeah very early yeah but it's it was i was i, I know from, i know for a fact my mum put it up because i my mum put me in because i was climbing the monkey bars at like age three or four mm-hmm. and i was always climbing this is what my parents tell me and i was always climbing i always wanted to climb and uh, so they put me into gymnastics because it seemed like a natural thing that I would be good at and I was but they kept feeling like I was being held back like they wouldn't like it wasn't a very good gymnastics group or they weren't pushing me as much as I wanted to be pushed and I would always say well why didn't you take me to somewhere else you know but But they didn't they just took me out and then and then throughout school I just kind of like dabbled with varying things but I never fell in love with one particular sport it wasn't actually like but i was always into training i've been training since i was like 12 doing various things i can remember doing push-ups with my mate like and then we'd like go out running and we're like 13 years old like i don't think 13 years like they're usually like playing sports you know but i was always into like training for for fitness and strength always See, that's interesting because i i was too um that we had i'm in junior school so i think i was probably nine or ten every summer they had these kind of games and we were put into these groups it was like a harry potter movie almost but i remember our group was always really shit we just always lost everything so the following year i'm like you know what this isn't going to happen again and my mom had one of those tunchuri like exercise bikes and i would use that and then our drive to the farm was like a half a mile but i was training and did push-ups and sit-ups and it was like a rocky montage with a really skinny goofy looking kid um but that's kind of when I had my aha moment too is you can play sport but if you put that training element in as well you'll actually get better at that sport and then we did we won we won that next year so oh. yeah I, I definitely have to say that the a big reason why I didn't keep up sports is because of is because of mentality and I'm a I talk about this all the time with like conversations with people at the gym and stuff and like you know if and when I have kids I will push them down an avenue you know like if they display an interest in something and they enjoy it well i realize and i realize from my childhood kids are flipping they'll want to quit 
different things like at one moment and it's your job to keep them you know on the like when they want to quit and stop and what have you to say hold on let's just keep you in it for a little bit longer you know if they end up becoming miserable and what have you then yeah pull them out but like you know for me as a kid anytime that i wanted to stop something you know my mum would be okay you know and sometimes i just needed that well, no, if you keep, if you keep it up, because a lot of the times was if I'm not amazing, if as a kid, if I wasn't amazing at something straight away, then I gave it up. Like I didn't, well, I didn't work at it. I didn't work hard at it until I found CrossFit <laughs> and then it was different. But, but, but by then I was older as a kid. I didn't have that mentality of, well, if I work hard and I practice and I push myself, then I will get better and I can, I can be really good. It was just a case of, I'm looking at all these other kids who are better than me. I'm not as good as them, so I should probably quit this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's really interesting you do that because we were just talking about Instagram. We're on Instagram Live. Um, that's something I've talked about with some of the other guests as well, I think is an issue with today. Yeah. is that same mentality. Oh, I want to get fit. Oh, and then you look at Alex, who's, you know, my, yeah. my coach. Um, I, I can't be Alex. So then what's the point? Why do I even try? You know what I mean? Because we see these best of the best, Steffi Cohen and, you know, all these, these, you know, Chad Vaughn, all these, those top people that I've had. If I compare myself to them, I'm never going to pick up a barbell. And I think that's as much as Instagram, those, those, uh, social media platforms are helping. There is a section of society that's almost discouraged because of that highlight reel of everyone's page. There's a, there's a quote that I, kind of came across recently i can't even remember where it came from now i think i might have read it somewhere it was recently though and i really liked it It it's basically said the talents you've got like the talents you've got are what god gave you but it's your job to take them as far as you can i really like that so we all have talents but some people don't take their talents as far as they can you know yeah and that's i think the 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 mistake people make is i want to be like this person instead of i want to see how you know what's yeah. the best version of me what does yeah. that look like yeah. i think that's the journey we have to go on some you might find yourself standing on a platform at the olympics yeah. or you might just find yourself standing next to a bunch of your colleagues who are very deconditioned realizing wow i can still play with my kids and they're talking about all the medication they take yeah it's still a huge win yeah it changes you know like earlier like earlier in my life like i'm 32 now but when i was I don't want to say 22 because that was just as I was finding CrossFit, but maybe like a couple of years after that, it was, I wanted to take my CrossFit as far as I possibly could. I had all this, like, I want to get to regionals, which regionals was a thing at the time. Now it's, now it's sanctionals. And I wanted to be the best. I want, cause I, it was that, it was literally the first time I found like, Oh, I can, t- I have these skills that really work with CrossFit. So let's take it as far as I can. But now that's gone. Now it's like, okay, I have all of these skills that I've built up over the last days and I want to pass that on to other people and take that as far as I can. You know, like take it on a worldwide scale with seminars. Being online is great because I can reach so much more, so many more people with my content and my message, get it out there to way more people that, that need to hear it and aren't necessarily getting it in-house where they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is pros and cons to everything. And, and yeah. the pros are if you, you know, if you want to be inspired, the content's out there. If you, I mean, my, my social media feed is uber positive. And I mean, the people that are on my wall, but it's just because you can trim away 
that negativity and you can, <clears throat> you know, guide your feed. So all it is is things like, you know, if someone's trying to get themselves to a point physically and mentally, every time you open it up, if you, if you guide these platforms, they will feed you all the right stuff. But if, you know, if it's all politics and assholes arguing with each other, then that's yeah. what you're going to wake up to every morning. You definitely can choose, like, you can manage your social media. Like, there's pros and cons to it. Like, it's like Kathleen was talking. Did you hear that conversation? She was saying, actually, like, she deleted social media. She's deleted it for a while because she feels like it's kind of good for the soul to take a break. You know, and I get it. Totally get it. But at the same time, you can... Like, if someone keeps appearing on your feed and you're just like, oh, God, really? You can just unfriend, unfollow, you know? If you don't like certain types of content, just stop consuming it, you know? That's, I can think of, th like, multiple things that I do with that, you know? Um, so, yeah, you can, you, can, you can manage it. I don't, know what, I don't know how I would be doing with social media now if I wasn't using it to get, a, a message out there I don't know how much I would be involved with it I've always kind of used it but yeah yeah I and mean, that's what I, I mean for me it's helping promote this you know that's it like Facebook used to be I have an international family you know we all moved away from different countries so it was a great way of us all sharing information and then when the podcast started I'm like well this is a great way of sharing information to everyone else and as we were talking now the some of the what were personal pages are now basically the podcast page. So I'm sure my family have all unfollowed me because it's all posts about podcasts. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but, you know, but it is, like you said, it's, well, it's a post. I, I, have, I have like family members and friends that follow me and my page is largely like it's, it's, a, it's a business page. I'm putting out information and instructional content and stuff and my friends and family got no interest in that <laughs> they watch my stories like they don't they don't they don't watch the main feed they'll watch stories that i do because i do put some personal stuff on there but they're not interested in the information in my view but it's just it is what it is yeah it's, it's the way it, it pays out so back to school age what was your career aspiration then when you were i was really the first thing that comes to mind is drawing like, I remember as a kid spending a lot of time drawing, like drawing cartoons. Oh, I remember, really? Yeah, and I remember literally thinking to myself, I want to I want to draw, I want to be a cartoonist. That's the earliest memory I have of what I wanted to do. And then, and was, so what changed? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, again, like, kids, they just go through phases, don't they? And I was no different. You just, I went through a drawing phase. I went through a, I was a skater kid. I wanted to be a professional skater at one point, you know, from like the ages of like 11 to 14. And then, I don't know, around about 16, things start getting they, that, that hard, tough teenage years, you know, where you're like school and university and stuff. And I just had no idea what at that point, you know, I was training, but the concept of like being a trainer wasn't there yet. And then, uh, and then that came around about the age of 19, 20. Okay. So what about um, CrossFit? How did you find that? Um, I found CrossFit because I was looking for, like, so as a personal trainer, and it's probably no different now, like I qualified as a personal trainer in like 2009, I think. And, but I was training people before then. It was kind of like, I'm just getting the certificate now. And I remember doing the course and I was like, 
just kind of going through the motions. Like a lot of this stuff I'd already learned just because I had a natural passion for it. Like I'd, I'd already learned about anatomical stuff and muscle and joint actions and stuff like that just because I have a genuine passion for it. And then when I did my course, it was like, okay, now I have the piece of paper that says I can go and train people in gyms. Um, and I found CrossFit. That was, that was like 2009 and I found CrossFit in 2010. And if anyone's, for people who've been in CrossFit for, for that long, they'll know that was the year Rich Froning won the games. No, he, uh, sorry, he, he lost the games because of the rope climb. climb. Yeah. Yep. He won the games the year after. And I remember I was so in, I was like, but up until that point, he was just dominating. It was clear he was dominating. And, uh, and I, and he, he was basically my inspiration for starting CrossFit competitively. Like, I'm going to train to be competitive with this. Yeah. Right. So this is what I'd love to hear then. So your, where, where was your fitness and ability at? at that point and then take us through the journey of everything apart from yeah sorry everything apart from the gymnastics was terrible okay good start so the 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 metcon and the weightlifting was was terrible now why was the gymnastics good if you had stopped as a young kid were you still just naturally able to do that stuff and the skateboarding and all that stuff tying in i think genetics i'm naturally top heavy the gymnastics side I was already interested in. I already had that interest in calisthenics and muscle-ups and that was already there before I found CrossFit. Whereas Olympic weightlifting, I only developed that interest because of CrossFit. Um, So I was already doing strength work, pull-ups, all that kind of stuff. Handstands, not so much. Like the acrobatic side of it was more just the strength work. And then, then when I found CrossFit, it was like, oh, these gymnastic skills like you know they developed quite quickly like um everything was messy but it developed quite quickly and um yeah the the metcon and the weightlifting was terrible and i basically this goes back to what i was saying earlier about if i did it differently i wouldn't be as good of a coach like i'm i'm a big believer that frustrated athletes that go through this huge learning curve end up becoming really good coaches Kind of, kind of sounds like I'm blowing, blowing my own trumpet a little bit, but it, it, but the point I'm trying to make is that because I frustrated and had such a hard time as an athlete, it made me a better coach because I went through this huge learning curve. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a great coach, but I have definitely had to, as you know, with the, with the bar muscle ups, you saw my frustration this time. So the number of coaching videos and things I've had to delve into versus someone who jumps up on the bar and gets their first one immediately. That's two very different journeys. So I can t- completely understand when, when it's not easy for you, you just have to learn a lot more to get to that point. And a, and a lot of what I did was self-taught. I've had a few mentors like over the years, like different coaches and gym owners and um, people that I've found inspiration from, from people who, had, who, had, people who were doing what I'm doing now before I started doing it, found inspiration from them and learned from them and what have you. And um um, but I, uh, it, it didn't, it was, it was all messy and I made a lot of mistakes from being self-taught and had to relearn a lot of things and relearn again and relearn again. And it's that message of like mastering the basics. And then when you feel like you've done that, go back, but pay attention closer. Well, you just rinse and repeat. Some people never do that, but I did it constantly because it was just going through that process, you know, but if I'd have somebody like I have athletes now that. I take completely from scratch and 
literally almost like a blank slate it's it's kind of beautiful in my mind like taking an athlete from a completely blank slate and i know the journey in my head and how i'm going to get that athlete from a to b and i can i can take them through that through that journey with no mistakes made you know but that wasn't my journey yeah and that's why i mean some of these young kids become so phenomenal is because they don't have time to be taught the wrong way if they've got the right coach yeah Yeah. it's yeah yeah basically that was my background right so any injuries through that crossfit journey i've been pretty lucky actually okay um I've been pretty lucky. In fact, I can remember like I had training partners like in my heyday. My heyday for CrossFit was around about 2013, 2014, like when I was at my fittest, training ridiculous amounts of volume. And I remember my training partners at the time all struggling with injuries. And I don't understand how Simon doesn't get injured, you know? And I think I attribute that to two things. Like I was always like a big advocate of doing the accessory work that was programmed where a lot of times they would skip it. And I also had a natural coach's eye for understanding like what, like where my weaknesses were. I had a mind's eye. I think they they call it kinesthetic awareness where I can picture what my body looks like without actually having to look in a mirror and see it. I know what's going on. Um, And uh, that's, that's how, whereas like, I, I don't think everybody has that and they can't actually feel or see their movements their movement breakdowns or if they're doing a dumbbell row they're not even aware that they're not even engaging the lat it's just i'm just doing the dumbbell row you know whereas i was always pretty switched on with understanding like the purpose behind a prehab exercise or or an accessory exercise and um yeah i always i always stayed on top of my weaknesses you know the ones that i was aware of anyway (laughs) and if you were doing good push-ups and good pull-ups on the foundations of what you taught us this weekend i'm sure that built that muscular balance and that uh, physical resilience that yeah. a lot of people that jumped in from you know let's say a bodybuilding style workout into crossfit you know they, they didn't have that yeah but it's, it's funny you say that like um about the like the way that you went through the push-ups and stuff this weekend um something is so basic as the push-up something is so basic as the air squat it's like i'm still learning about new things about these the more you cut it doesn't get more basic than a push-up it really doesn't it doesn't get more basic than an air squat and still 11 years or so into this 10 years into this i'm still learning things about the push-up every time i do a seminar there'll be an athlete that shows me something new i haven't seen before you know or the way that they interpret a particular cue. And so my push-ups weren't always this perfect demonstration that I'm putting out there now, if you know what I mean. It's this continuing evolution of like, you know, if you look, if you if you saw a video of me doing Cindy in 2014, my push-ups probably wouldn't have looked like they do now and like I coach people to do them now, if you know what I mean, because it's this continuous like evolution. Yeah. Well, well, with the push-ups, it was interesting for me. And I can't remember who who it was that I saw that made me change. Um, it might have been, I went to an Edo Portal seminar. I don't know if it was there or not. I forget. But anyway, you know, we'd always been taught with these wide yeah. arms. I mean, forever. And you ask the average male, probably around the world, to do a push-up that's, you know, let's say 25 or older. They're going to do that. And then you watch even the military ones. A lot of the military guys do these like half push-ups. 
you know, and then as we know, then our, <laughs> some of our fellow CrossFit athletes do the, what I call the magic mic push-ups where you just dry hump in the ground, basically. Um, it is fundamental, but it's, it's a movement that's done wrong so often, which I think then contributes to a lot of the, especially the, the shoulder ill health. It's the, it's the issue of transferability. So you talked about like three groups of people. You talked about the military, you talked about Edo Portal, and you talked about there's one other group of people. Uh, well, just, just, just the regular, just the regular, the, the wide wrong. Yeah. The know, regular fitness enthusiasts, wrong. right? Yeah. Well, only one of those camps of people are really looking at transferability to other movements so when we're talking about the push-up we're we're not just when we do the push-up advanced trainees or trainees that have been in the game and taught well are realizing that when i'm doing a push-up really well i'm not just developing the push-up right now i'm i'm building strength transferable strength to dips and handstand push-ups as well and it's making sure that you have that mindset when you're training because when you do have that mindset you you actually question your technique and you internalize training maybe talk about internalize what i mean by that later but um the uh if you're thinking along those lines you will start to develop your technique very well whereas if you're in the military or your regular fitness uh go and you're just thinking about the push-up drill sergeant says give me 50 okay well You've, you've given your, your body, you've given your brain a goal and your nervous system is goal orientated. It'll always go down the path of least resistance. So if you say, give me 50, well, I'm just going to try and give you 50 reps. And it's not about form. It's just about getting the goal done. Yeah. Especially if they're used as a, a basically a punishment tool where yeah. you're going to be doing yeah. a number that you wouldn't be able to do with, yeah. with good form. Yeah. And then you talk about pushups for chest development, you know, I was doing, uh, Push-ups, you know, the uh, the hand rotators, those handles. We've I found a pair of those in the gym the other day. Didn't know they were there. It's a new addition. And I got them out and I was like, so if, if, if you, I'm always, I do think like a, a bodybuilder sometimes, you know, it, it does help us. And it's not just for bodybuilding and muscular development, but it also has a transfer to performance as well. And with the push-up, we're always, the hands are fixed and we're always talking about retraction and protraction and maintaining this sort of like the shoulders kind of staying as it is but actually if you have the hand to you can actually add a rotational element to it and if you're doing the push-up for chest development well the pec is actually an internal rotator so i'm actually internally rotating at the top of the push-up and it's getting that contraction and then externally rotating on the way down and now you can add this element to the push-up that's you're changing what you're getting from the exercise because of the way you're executing it and it's that's an interesting concept that i'm trying to get across to people like you know a push-up is a push-up. What is your goal? It, do you know what I mean? If your goal is handstand, strict handstand push-ups, there's a certain way I want you to execute that push-up. If your goal is chest development, well, we can change things up a little bit, you know? Yeah, and that's what, what struck me as well. I mean, you said if you're working on handstand push-ups, that means you've got to work on your push-ups, you know? And, Absolutely. And, you know, that's something I think as a coach, CrossFit coach, and seeing my, my fellow coaches is we do try and get them to do whatever scale is right, you know, one click below the skill we're going for. And now, you know, after this, it's kind of made me really relook and go, okay, I get it now. There's, there's a lot more strength development and volume possible from a pull-up, a push-up, these things that then is going to give you that overall strength than trying to take off 20% 
and then I still only get three or four reps because it's a standing on a box pike push up instead of a handstand I think, push up. Um, the, the, the analogy I use is if you look at anybody who has a good amount of handstand, strict handstand push ups, that athlete will also have a good amount of push ups, you know? Um, and there's just a bunch, there's just so many athletes that just neglect the push up because they think they've got it down. They feel like they've mastered that basic, you know? Um, but they haven't either on a technical uh, side or in a side of how many quality reps can you do? And you've still got a lot of work to do on the push-up if you want to improve on the handstand push-up. Like you, it's, it's kind of like, you know, your overhead squat is only ever going to be X percent of your back squat. You know, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like you're, you're clean. I mean, the, your, your snatch, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, the people, better, people actually, try and snatch heavier than they can overhead squat. The overhead squat's quite a skill. That's probably a bad one. But a better one would be like your power clean is only ever going to be an X percentage of your deadlift. You know, you're never going to outpower clean your deadlift. And there's a good there's a good amount of athletes that if they put 20 kilos on the deadlift and they keep up some power clean training alongside that time, that power clean is going to go up. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's the same thing with push ups and handstand push ups. Yeah, and I, I can attest that because I've always struggled with um, handstand push ups. When I first started CrossFit, and you're talking about doing it wrong. Um, I don't say this is wrong, but I used to do it in the YMCA gym off the main site. So I, I was introduced by a friend and then I left California and came here and I was completely on my own. There were no gyms around. Um, so I would kind of wall walk and do facing yeah. the wall and I was able to do them. But now I think well, I was probably completely bowed, bringing in, you know, my chest and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the, the thing with seminars, you know, like... One of the, you know, I said earlier, these seminars keep getting better. One of the reasons they keep getting better is every time I do a seminar, I do this, I go through this process of like self-analysis. What was good? What was bad? In the early days of doing seminars, the thing that was bad was not necessarily how the seminar was run in ways that could improve. It was actually like, how many of these attendees are actually going to go and start actioning this next week? And I had a real, I could not confidently say that that was a high number and a lot of coaches might not care you know just take the money from the seminar put the content out do another one whatever but I actually am trying to give people whatever they need coaches and athletes to actually give them the confidence to action take action on what they learn so I'm really hoping like the stuff we did yesterday with the handstand and when you were doing your wall climb, you know, you, you did go straight into that position. But by the third set, once I'd pointed that out to you and showed you and give you some of those visual cues and what have you, you'd fixed it. And it's really important for me that like, well, starting Monday, you go and do a wall climb, you action what you learn at the seminar, you remember it, you practice it. And it doesn't just go out the window, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what I was going to say with the, the handstand push up. Same thing is I... I'm not great at push-ups. I mean, as far as like the movement, if you asked me to do five, it would probably be like, okay, that looks good. But ask me to do 30, like you're talking about getting the higher numbers, that's where I fall apart. So now looking like, oh, why can't I bar muscle up? Well, there's that transitional push that, you know, I've identified as a weakness and, you know, the, the push-ups with transferring to the handstand push-up. Because, I mean, it's not an excuse, but I'm also aware of the biomechanics of my body, very skinny arms, very long. You know, there is biomechanically you know mathematically it's going to take more effort for for these than if i was built a different way but that's not an excuse it's just it's more of a hurdle for me to overcome versus someone with short arms you know with with 
you know, whatever, whatever body shape, um, that particular movement relatively might be easier for them, but it doesn't matter. I, I'm me and I've still got to overcome mine, which I think is going to be a lot more attention to, you know, push-ups, pull-ups, you know, the foundational work coming right back to the very beginning again. Well, you've got those training targets. You have, uh, well, actually, you probably won't because you came in on as one of the coaches, but you'll you'll get those. You know, everyone else had the three the three level sheets and the handbook. Well, throughout those level sheets, there's those training targets, and you can go through that and go, okay, yeah, well, it says here that I need this, and I don't have that. <laughs> and all the way down here, I'm trying to gain this skill, and I don't have this. And that's a big thing I'm trying to get across to people is like, you know, can you do seven straight chest bar pull-ups? Yeah. And chest bar, that's the thing. I can I can do, you know, multiple strict chin over bar. But I think when you actually think of a strict chest touching the bar. With the press. Yeah, that's that's another. You know, I was saying as, they, as you go lower in the pulling range, it starts turning into a press. And it's like, how strong are you there? Can you do that? Mm-hmm. You no, I, don't think, I think that's a missing link for me. I mean, it's not it's not much. It's not far yeah. away from where I am, but I've never added that press. But a lot of athletes don't. They don't. They don't train Chester Bar. It's it's just you know, uh, and I mean strict Chester Bar pulling. You know, and it's like, well, that that is part of the bridge between pull ups and bar muscle up. It needs to be trained. It needs to be looked at, and and, and until you do look at it and train it, um you you just you, you don't know you what you basically the, the thing that i'm trying to get across to people is like clean up your basics like i'm all for doing skill progressions but it's like what i said at the seminar it's like you know you, your skill the skill that you gain from skill progressions has to be overshadowed by increases in strength like you have to be getting stronger at the same time and that builds in resiliency so you're not going to get hurt and two steps forward one yeah, step back as well because i mean that that's a, that's as huge for for our community, like CrossFit community, but for my community is a very sleep deprived community. So though those periods where you're supposed to be building and getting stronger, we're not. And so, you know, it, it drives me crazy. You always hear this, this kind of comment thrown out by some people. Oh, it's always the fit guys that get hurt. Like, yeah, it is because they're actually training and taking their job seriously. But the missing part is the recovery. And a lot of these people, I just had a fireman reach out to me this morning. They work 72 hour shifts, 72 hours straight. And in a lot of these departments, they're awake all night. A, that's incredibly dangerous. But B, there's no chance for recovery. So that person takes their job seriously. They do some workouts. They're not getting that rebuilding phase. So that it's so imperative that we do as much of the um, the resilience, physical resilience training, because we are more apt to get hurt if we, you know, try and jump a few rungs of the ladder and end up, you know, yeah. ripping a knee, a shoulder, whatever it is that we see all the time in our profession. Recovery is that thing that everybody's aware of. Everybody knows they need more of it, but it's like, oh, rest day? <laughs> What's a rest day? <laughs> you know, or people are going out for like 5K runs on their rest day or they're doing, I'm going to go to the pool on my rest day and do like, you know, 50 meter intervals with some burpees on the side of the pool. And it's like, it's not a rest day. But it, but the... I think the thing that I want to get across to athletes with when it comes to recovery is like you don't need to be completely rested going into each training session. Like you don't need to go into a training session completely recovered. You know, it's just you have to be paying attention to is stuff getting better or are you just feeling worse and getting in more pain and more niggles are appearing. 
and your lifts aren't improving and what have you. And then it's like, okay, now you need to look at you need more recovery going into your training sessions because your training is suffering because in order to do more, in order for things to move in that upward direction, well, your body has to go into those training sessions in somewhat of a rested state. Somewhat of a, I've kind of recovered from the last time you gave me this stress so that I can take on a little bit more. But if you keep taking on more and under-recovering, eventually the body gives in. And it's like just getting across to athletes that you don't need to be completely rested. You just have to make sure those ratios are balanced to work in your favor. Everyone wants to get better, but I think a lot of people at times, the thing that I've understood with athletes is athletes are reluctant to do what they don't fully understand. If I can, if I can get across to someone and explain it to them, usually they'll get on board. Oh, that makes sense now. They and understand it, the why. Yeah, and if it makes sense in their head, they're much more likely to carry it out. But if you're just saying, take a rest, you need to rest more. You need more recovery. Is the athlete going to do it? Probably not. Because you haven't given them any actionable um, logic. You've just given them something that they kind of already know. and But not given them anything else to go with, okay, well, how do I action that? how do I get more recovery into my program? And give, give me a little bit more about the why as well, you know? Something that makes sense and, you know, will actually motivate somebody to to do something they wouldn't otherwise want to do, which is take more recovery. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it is it's hard because we, again, our profession, the the real hard charges are, I mean, it, it's, it's understandable. Everything we do, lives are at stake, whether it's the EMS side, the medical side, whether it's, you know, the skills to cut people out of cars, burning buildings, you know, you name it, the rope rescues. So there's so much to learn that there's almost a feeling as if you're not training, then you're, you're getting behind on all that, that learning. And obviously some of that can be skills. And that's, you don't have to be killing yourself, but there's a tendency with the physical side as well to be always hitting it hard. And I had a guy, Jeff Nichols, who's a Navy SEAL, in the first interview, um, he was explaining that when we get off shift, so, you know, that can, that can obviously translate to any other high stress, um, profession or even argument with your wife, whatever it is. If you're, if you're wound up, that's not the day to jump into Murph. It's not the day to just destroy your nervous system. And we have this feeling, oh, we're going to flush out the stress. Well, sometimes that's not the case. It's actually taking it up even more. So understanding that the kind of active recovery or, or just, a, just a less intense workout sometimes. We'll, we'll promote that. We'll flush out those, those, um, you know, the cortisol and the stress hormones. But if you, like you're saying, if you're already overtrained or overstressed and then you redline a workout, people don't understand. They're actually making it worse, not better. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. All right. Well, then, um, speaking of uh, overtraining, you talked about volume as far as training and, and especially the, that's the uh, time under tension side. So if, I'd love for you to expand on that because it was something that I, again, realized, I, you know, wrong is the wrong word, but now I have a greater understanding of that, that, you know, we do five reps of something, as you were saying, let's say five push-ups. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Well, that was easy versus how long are we actually in that position? So if you want to expand yeah. on, on that whole philosophy. Um, okay, well, let's take CrossFit. I guess a lot of your listeners are... They, they, they do CrossFit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a large section that do. Okay. Well, the way CrossFit sold itself was everything's to do with work, like work capacity, right? You know, um, 
force times distance divided by time weights reps how many how many reps and how long did it take you to do it you know um that's all well and good when it comes to you know general power output um and measuring power output like it's scientifically sound however there's a lot that is not being looked at like this is this is where i say you know i have to be careful what i say here but like you know CrossFit is an incomplete program or any program is incomplete when you're only looking at things that can that can be measured quantifiably. Okay. So it's like I said at the seminar. All right. Well, you've got an athlete that does five by five back squat. Well, we know how much it is on the bar. We know the range of motion of the squat. And we can even measure it. We can measure the we can measure the distance between the hip and the knee and what have you and work out the, the exact power output and what have you. The thing that you can't measure is the uh, the quality of the movement? What does the squat look like? Is this is how what, how angled is the torso? Do you know what I mean? And then the other thing that you, you can measure is the, is the time under tension. So if you have you got two athletes that do five by five back squat, and you know you're saying you upload your scores to those comment sections, and so and so over in Sweden has done this, and you've done this, and it's like oh, but that tells you nothing about the quality of the movement that was done. What did the movement look like? And you can't measure that oftentimes. How can you measure how much an athlete's shoulders are shrugged when they're doing push-ups? You know, it's like if one athlete is always shrugging their push-ups and the other athlete is keeping the scapula depressed, one athlete is going through full range of motion on every push-up on the, on the scapula, but the other athlete is kind of staying fixed in the traction, you can't measure that. You can't measure that, you know? And if you're not looking at those things, well, you're missing a huge piece of physical development and physical development is what we're looking at when it comes to getting better so basically the the time under tension thing is just a piece of that a piece of that puzzle of looking at the things that you can't necessarily measure you know the the if it's sure it's five by five back squat but if one athlete drops to the bottom in less than a second and bounces out of the hole and gets to the top in you know and the total rep was one second another athlete takes three seconds with even tension to get to the bottom and then stands up and that stand up takes around two seconds and that's five seconds of tension per one rep well those athletes are going to get a different physical response from that workout you know their muscle their muscles are going to adapt differently because of the way that the squat was executed and that's just that's so important when it comes to strength training i'll give you an example athletes struggling with sticking points Okay, so you've got a sticking point in the squat or you've got a sticking point in your pull-up. Well, if an athlete's only looking at the measurable, like when they're programming, programming for themselves, they're only looking at the measurable variables, reps, time, load. I'm going to do five by three or whatever. And you're not looking at the way that you're executing the pull-up. Well, you're not addressing why that sticking point is going to be there. You have a sticking point for a reason, you know. And it's because the the muscles can't contract as hard or as efficiently at one point in the range of motion as they can in another. And you can't fix that by just keeping on doing the same reps over and over again and just adjusting the quantifiable variables, reps, load, how many sets, etc. You have to start adjusting the way that you're executing the movement. You have to start looking at things you can't measure. What's going on at your scapula? Are your shoulders moving up at the top of the pull-up? Are they staying down? 
is your core engaged or is it not? If your core isn't engaged, the lat tension won't be as high. The tension in the prime movers won't be as high. And if you start to have those imbalances of tension throughout a range of motion, that's where sticking points arise. And again, if you're only ever looking at what you can measure, power output, work capacity, how much work was done, well, you're never going to address those issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's where, and you can you know, correct me if you think differently, but I think the CrossFit community, the coaching community in general is finally in a paradigm shift where we are really seeking out the world's experts and, and getting them to really show us what yeah. these movements should look like, what, you know, as you said, biomechanically, what should be going on. Um, I think part of that comes from the injuries, you know, people seeing just all these high level athletes just blowing out. Um, but then again, like you said, people, I think have all come to that Olympic coach, that strongman coach, that gymnastics coach saying, why, why, why? And they're coming back with them with like, all right, let's start from the beginning. You know, I think that's permeating probably around yeah. the world now. That's a tough pill for athletes to want to swallow. You know, the whole of, I see that a lot, you know, like, okay, back to basics. And this concept of like doing a reset or like going back to the beginning and starting the journey again. And uh, I'm always saying to athletes, look, you don't have to start your journey again. You don't have to completely stop everything you're doing, go right back to basics and just only do perfect movement. You just have to start putting on your thinking cap a little bit and trying to, trying to analyze, like start asking questions. If you have a weakness, start asking a question of why it could potentially be a weakness and start putting the action in to address it. It doesn't mean you need to strip everything right back to the beginning and start again from scratch, so to be. Because I, because I think if you do that, you're not addressing the problem. You're just going back to a point where the problems don't seem evident and building back up again to a point where they do become evident, evident again. And then you just keep going round in circles back to basics again back to basics again and it's like you don't need to go back to basics you just need to you just need to start addressing the problem and if you don't know reach out <laughs> reach out to somebody who does you know this is why I put out so much content because I want I don't want people to to not have the confidence that they can solve their problems like I, I want to put all this, I do so much on Instagram story of putting out um, all the instructional content and problem solving and stuff like that because I want people, if they're suffering with a problem, I want them to have the confidence that they can come and get that problem solved. It's always going to take a lot of work on the part of the athlete, but I want them to have the confidence that they can get that problem solved. And if I don't put that content out there, well, they're never going to have that confidence. No, no. And then what's what's so good to see with what you do, and we were talking earlier about Julian Pinot says the same thing. You know, all their stuff is out there because you guys are trying to help people. He's another one who's genuinely trying to change the way athletes think about training. Yeah, exactly. And then it's amazing that because the first one we talked about was muscle imbalance. Then next time he came on, it was um, the nervous system. So they started getting into that. Now it's nutrition as well in the nervous system, but not like any one thing, but but whether a food causes a, a sympathetic or parasympathetic response or what time of day to eat it. You know, so again, still principles that Julian likes rather than, oh, you should eat this, this, and this on this day. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, you're saying about why. When you bring it back down to understanding, like, why do I do a push-up? Why do I do a pull-up? And the, the military is a perfect analogy. Like in a way, you know, the boot camps of the world are teaching uh, you know, uh, 
a movement that might possibly, and depending on the way they're taught in that particular academy, set them up for failure with injuries later down the road and movement patterns um, versus understanding in that cadre teaching them saying, all right, we're actually going to get them to do less, but we're going to be more critical of their form, you know, and get them to hold the positions longer. And it's a very, it's a paradigm shift because we've been told exactly which supplement to take which bodybuilding the machine to yeah. to use for so long. I mean, as we were growing up, and again, it's not demonizing the bodybuilding world. It's just getting people to understand that a machine is very different than a free weight, natural body movement. Mm. Yeah. Fitness industry is very, very broad and diverse, you know. And I'm just a big, I'm a big advocate of whatever it is that you enjoy. If you love bodybuilding, go out and do bodybuilding. Like, you know, is it is it functional? <laughs> Does it matter? You know, like, I mean, if you, it, it's that whole, you can try and get a message, but only, the message only comes across to people who are ready to hear it, you know? Somebody loves single joint movements and loves getting the body into tight, stiff positions and doesn't care about the mobility, and it's like, well you can have this message of, you know, well, when you're, when you're 60, when you're 70 years old, do you realize what this might do to your body? You know, it's a lot of, that message isn't going to get heard anyway. You know, it will for a lot of people, but for a lot of people, it's not going to anyway. So I just tend to not, I tend to not try to change people's minds. Just try to get, just try to get the message out there and the people that are ready to hear it and ready to action on it, it will. And the ones that aren't, aren't. But at the end of the day, I, just, I uh, it's i think there's like this process of things you know like more and more, the fitness industry is so big now because more and more people are coming into it which is awesome it's awesome yeah um you mentioned about uh crossfit crossfit's going through a change at the minute you know you'll notice that the way that they market themselves and their messaging and everything with the crossfit games that's completely changed and a lot of that is because if you look at the majority of people that were doing crossfit in 2009 well, the messaging was very different because the marketplace that was doing CrossFit was already current fitness enthusiasts that needed that challenge. Exactly. That's what I was. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, look at the marketplace in 2019. It's very different. Most people, I'd probably, I don't know, this is just a random number, so don't quote me on it, but I'd say probably like nine out of 10 people that find CrossFit now and start CrossFit now are just just finding fitness now. And it's their first, It's it, CrossFit is their first entry into fitness. And then we ex we've been exposing them for the last like five or six years to like kipping pull-ups and all this stuff. And that's presented a bunch of problems. And now the message has changed. The message has changed and they're targeting different people. And you don't see the videos that you used to see. You don't see the talking that you used to see 10 years ago. It's completely changed because the marketplace has changed. Yeah. Or even though like you said some of the videos now with the the elderly people, you know, just standing yep. up and down holding water jugs. And, yep. you know, and, I think, and I think that's great. I'm happy that that's happened because I think, I think in anything, CrossFit, bodybuilding, parkour, gymnastics, there's good coaches and bad coaches. Uh, there's no bad domain, like modalities. There's just good coaches and bad coaches. And if you have a great, coach in a crossfit gym and you and you find crossfit as your first thing they're going to be able to take you through some great movement with olympic weightlifting deadlifts push-up basics you know and you're going to have a, you're going to have a great time or you might get unlucky and find someone who's not really that great and and isn't really 
you know, uh, on their coaching game or improving their coaching game and you're not going to get as as good of a response and you are going to go through things that you maybe shouldn't be going through, ideally, you know. But, yeah, that's what's happened in the last 10 years for me and what I've witnessed and I'm quite happy about it. But, yeah, more and more people are finding fitness Uh, and then more and more people with CrossFit especially, you know, the first couple of years of CrossFit, it's like the honeymoon phase. Everything's great. You PR every week. After about two years, you start getting frustrated because you still can't do a muscle up. <laughs> because... So 12 years. Because, of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you have this insanely big strength background of, you know, um, doing a lot of the basics, let's just say, you know, um, you, you're you going to struggle to get these skills by doing, you know, wall balls and burpees and just a box muscle up every every now and then like you need to put some dedicated time into it and it's only after about it's usually around about the two year mark people get to that point and then they find me and then they have a rethink things change and then they go on this journey of like uh breaking things down a bit more and and going through that and so there's this there's this like this cycle of you know find fitness find crossfit have to come take a step back and then go again I'm just these are the athletes I'm dealing with. It's, um, yeah, it's good. All right. Well, then, so to lay the foundation for that a little bit. So, tell me about what took you out of CrossFit. Or well, let me just do this. What level you got to? What took you out? And then what you brought you into the journey of you know where you are now? Uh, so yeah. So like uh, like I said, I'm about like 2013, 2014 was kind of like my heyday. I'd been like coaching and training for four or five years at that point as a personal trainer and then my business kind of gradually my clients all started becoming specifically training for the skills of CrossFit and the gymnastics thing was my passion. Like that was the thing that I was just like becoming a, becoming a specialist in. And, um, I was training a crazy amount of hours and ended up, I think the best finish I ever had in the, in the open was a, something like 200 something in Europe. At the time, the top 60 went to regionals. Right. So, not too so far I had that in my sights. Yeah. If I could just get my strength numbers up with the barbell, I could compete. You know, that barbell's going to feel easier. I've got the Metcon, I've got the gymnastics. I just need to get that barbell up. And uh, I was training a crazy amount of hours. The following year, and I think one workout like that was literally just muscle ups, wall balls, and double unders. It was one that was repeated, I think, for like three years in a row. I ended up finishing like almost like a regionals kind of place. I think I ended up finishing like seventieth in Europe in one workout. That was like my best individual workout. Um, and then the next year we had the clean and jerk. So they put the clean and jerk one rep max in as a as a single workout, as a single event. It was like a metcon, and then we had the one rep max clean and jerk. Yeah, and I remember that. I finished, I don't know. I can't remember what the number was. There's a record of it on the site, I think. You can probably look it up if you searched my name on the leaderboard. And I think I finished, I don't know, something good. Probably around about that 200 mark again. Oh, really? In the 15.1A, which was the Metcon. It was like a nine-minute toaster bar snatch something. Um, and then it was immediately followed by 15.1B, the Max Clean and Jerk. And in that, I finished about 2,000. Now, I already knew what my weaknesses were, but that workout basically, you know, yeah, I'm not going going to regionals. (laughs) But also, um, I was making all of these mistakes with training. 
like my strength really hadn't improved like it it should have because I was just I was of the mindset of I'm just beating myself I'm just working more I'm going to work I'm going to outwork all my competition yeah. but that just shot me in the foot and that was funny because that's the impression people got from Rich Froning but I think there was probably a lot more science and recovery well, behind his let me talk about that quickly and then maybe we can come back to so I have this there's another passion of mine is this going back to that time of my life as a, as a as a competitor I was just doing so much volume because of that same reason what's Rich doing it was literally a thing Jason Kleeper on his wall he's got what's Rich doing written on his wall and the whole thing is while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing Rich Froning's doing some air bike intervals he's doing some he's doing a few sets of front squats at 10pm you know and there's that concept of if you want to win you have to outwork everyone else the problem with that is at the time like Rich Froning and Jason were like you know number one and number two kind of thing um the best in the world they're already in the top one percent of crossfit athletes they don't need to put 10 kilos on their snatch to win the crossfit games they don't need to put 10 kilos on their squat 15 kilos on their front squat do you know what i mean to win the games to win the games for them is a matter of work capacity it's literally a case of how fit am i and how well conditioned am i that I can still perform at my peak on Saturday and Sunday when I've already done two or three days of competition because they're already in the strongest 1%. They're already in the top 1% in the gymnastics stuff. They're already in the top 1% of the conditioning. It's literally just a case of how much volume can my body take. So they're literally deliberately beating themselves up. Yep. They almost mimic a weekend of the games. Right. Okay. So now you look at athletes that are in CrossFit gyms all around the world watching this witnessing this they're seeing the YouTube vlogs of Rich Froning doing six workouts a day what's the natural thing if you want to be the best of the best in CrossFit right I've got to start doing six workouts a day what's my excuse I've got to start doing six workouts a day well the difference between you and Rich Froning is that in order for you to get to that level you need to put 50 kilos on your snatch there's a 50 kilo difference between what you can lift and what Rich can lift. And Rich has been an athlete his whole life as well. Yep. Same thing goes with the gymnastics. What Rich can do, you know, the athletes of the games are doing, you know, 25, 30, some of them are doing 30 muscle-ups unbroken, you know, now, you know. Do you think you're ever going to get to that level of strength by doing six wads a day? All this conditioning, putting all of this crazy amounts of stress on your body. Do you think your body can recover to get as strong as that? No. And it doesn't matter how fit you become. Your work capacity is always going to be capped. It's always going to be capped by the levels of your absolute strength and the levels of your relative strength. So relative strength is body weight. Absolute strength is how much can you lift. Unless those two things are increasing, you're never going to take yourself to the next level of competition. I didn't understand this at the time. It's not something that I, I kind of understood, but I didn't understood what the training would look like to actually achieve that. So going back to the Open, doing really well in 2013 or 2014, I think 2015 was the last year I was like, okay, this isn't working anymore. I have to rethink things. And it was because I was just doing all of the wrong training. I was doing all of the volume and the strength couldn't improve because I was just subjecting my body to just too much volume. So the squats weren't increasing or they would increase. And then as soon as I started hammering my body with conditioning again, I would see a, a drop in strength and I would just be back to where I was. 
and uh yeah it was uh it was crazy how um it was like a, a thing that just switched in my head of like wow i've made all these mistakes and it was kind of like a wake up a wake up moment of uh yeah i realize what to do now i know how to get improve but by that point i'd already kind of fallen out of fallen out of love in inverting you know quote unquote fallen out of love with the idea of competing in crossfit um i had a rethink i was like why am i doing this why am i driving myself into this you know this was around about the time i had insomnia i was telling about this in the car all this negative stuff started happening and i was like why am i doing this like do i do i really want this or i meant do i am i just doing it because i feel like i should be doing it because it's the it's the one thing that i'm good at you know and then once i had that thing i was like well actually what do you enjoy doing like what do you actually enjoy doing and it was the gymnastics and the weightlifting i liked combining those elements when you actually if you took the open away if you took the idea of competing against other people in crossfit competitions away would i still have been punishing myself like that with metcons and the answer was no when i first found crossfit in 2007 it was a very pure just posted workouts that was it and you'd go and watch greg armanson to figure out how the hell you even do some of these but yeah. then when the compest comp- excuse me the competition came in the games even though i know this wasn't their intention as gyms i started to see that was it like you said they walked through a door i want to learn butterfly pull-ups i want to you know i want to be rich froning and there was a loss of the real true reason that most people do crossfit and some of them thought it was for the the games but the reality is, like you said, I just want to be able to climb a rope and do handstands and, you know, like you said, be able to carry all the groceries in, in two arms when I come, you know, from the car and all these simple things. And that competition side, there's a very, very small percentage of people that do very well. And that is their why. And they do eat, live and breathe competition. But it's such a small percentage. But for a time, and our gym has done incredibly well now to turn that around too. But for a time, that was a focus, I think, for a lot of the programming. And that was when we saw a lot of the injuries and a lot of the burnouts. Sometimes it's, it's unfortunate that an athlete has to get to a point of frustration before they're willing to make the changes. You know, it's very hard to, like, you know, if an athlete's putting in about all of this volume into their program, but they're not really experiencing much negative, like, you know, like they're not, they don't feel overtrained. They are PRing every now and again, you know, they <sighs> The muscle-ups come one day, but it's chicken winging and what have you. But in their head, they're like, yeah, I can do it now. You, you can't really tell these people to like slow down and, you know, take some volume off and rebuild properly and give yourself the body recovery like like I needed to in, at that moment. That's why the barbell didn't improve because I was just beating myself down too much with the volume. Unfortunately, athletes have to get to that point, that, mo- that clean and jerk moment that I had, which is like, I should be so much stronger than this. The amount of work that I've put in, I should be so much stronger at this point and I'm not. And the reason is because my body hasn't been given the proper dosing of stimulus and recovery. Stimulus and recovery. It's just had too much of this where it's just hit burnout. And now this thing is holding me back and I'm not going to get to that next level. And athletes have to get to that point a lot of the time where they get to that level of frustration before they're ready to hear that message. (laughs) You know? Um, because a lot of times athletes will just go with the proof of the pudding. Well, if so-and-so is doing five workouts a day and I want to get to their level and compete with them on the competition floor, well, I need to do that as well. But you might be an athlete that actually just needs to follow a strict gymnastics plan for like a couple of years (laughs) to get to the point where you can actually do all of that stuff 
and then we can start talking about work capacity. But if you're not there yet, you're going to, what could, what should take you two years is going to take you 10. And that's if you, if you do get some of the recovery you need. Yeah. Now we're well, speaking of that. So I'm sure you have this in all the gyms that you've coached at. Um, you know, we, we, I know all the coaches could, could, could names, names, I'm sure, but the, the athletes that just don't listen, move horribly, you know, want to add weight to their bar instead of take the weight, weight off. When you identify someone who, you know, is needs to, to just scale back and, and go with some more basic movements for whatever it is that they're weak. Um, how do you approach those athletes? And, and, and is there a specific way that you talk to them to try and get them to do that? Do you remember one of the quotes I said at the weekend was um, do and then explain? Do first and explain later. So a lot of coaches, you know, they'll gather the class around and they'll go through this explanation of what's on the board. They'll demo a few movements, explain what we want, explain what we don't want. As I didn't really do that at the seminar. It's just like, right, guys, this first section is going to be like today. Sorry, yesterday. This first section is going to be close about. We just went straight into the first breakdown. Didn't explain everything that we were going to do. I didn't explain what we didn't want to see or what we wanted to see. It was just, here's the first breakdown. Then I gave you one piece of feedback after the set. Here's the next breakdown. Gave you one piece of feedback. And you just rinse and repeat that. And then the group moves together and starts moving really well. And you're not, um, you're not losing people because they're having to listen. People don't learn that way. They learn by doing. And then you add the explanation in later if, if it's needed. Um, the way that I dealt with those athletes... So I kind of went off a little bit. No, no, no. <laughs> I do that a lot. <laughs> but uh, going back to those athletes, I've dealt with those athletes a lot over the years. I can think of people. I can. I'm literally thinking of like two or three athletes in my head right now. Me too. <laughs> um, they think that they, they they either think that they know it. They think that they're above certain breakdowns, and or they they're a, they. My body doesn't move that way. You know, you're giving them a cue to do something like chest up. <laughs> my chest doesn't go up. And they put excuse like I'm like I can't do that, and I'm like I'm just asking you to work a little bit harder. You everyone can improve, so can you? You know, do you know what I mean? You don't get into arguments with athletes. What you do is you see the way I move the group. Everyone moves at the same time through some kind of cueing, down, up, you know. And every now and again, I'll hand out one cue to an individual athlete. In my view, well, the athletes that are like uncoachable, so to speak, they'll either get with that most of the time. They will. Or they'll be taking timeouts. They'll put the bar down early before the group's done. They'll like walk off, go and get water while we're still working. You know, they just they just don't want to do the way that I'm doing it. You know, and you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, you can have conversations like if you were a gym. I've never done this because I've never been the owner of the gym, so I would never dare take a member aside and have an explanation to him, look, if we're moving, stay with us, don't go off and, you know, I would never do that because it's it's not my place to say. So I don't, I literally, but what you'll often find is that a lot of athletes just need, they just need warming up. They'll be resistant to certain things in the beginning. Um, I remember in the gym that I did most of my coaching at, basically where I built my craft for eight years, the the girlfriend or that they're married now, I think the, the wife of the owner of the gym me and him coached very differently. And she was very resistant to the way that I did things. Always feeling like putting resistance against me. Anytime I would, I stopped giving her one-on-one cues because she just, she would defy them, actively defy them. Like if I said chest up, she'd go chest down. Oh, really? Yeah. If mm-hmm. I said reach up, she'd just purposely not do it. 
this, you know, and she would purposely just not get with the group. She'd just be like resistant to it because I was doing things completely differently to the way that he did it. You know, it was very obvious. But most athletes will eventually warm to you. They'll sit, they'll start to see that, oh, this is actually starting to, I can start to see this. They just need a little bit of warming up. Just come in, get with the way that it's done. I don't need to sit and have an explanation with them or try to convince them about doing breakdowns or doing this strength exercise or what have you. They'll eventually get with it. Eventually. There's some athletes, some athletes, most athletes will love it straight off the bat, but a few athletes are really resistant and they just, I uh, think they know it all. They think they're above breakdowns. They think they're too advanced to to warm up properly or do ba- warm up basics, you know. But eventually, they start to see the value of it. You know, it's very rare that someone just stays defiant. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it's like I said, I've I've seen a few, but it's interesting what you're saying about the breakdowns, taking people through the skills. You've already given them two or three movements by that point. Now they can be more comfortable if they find that humility to say, all right, you know, actually, now you show me how to do this. I'm going to stay at this level here. I'm not going to try and chicken wing bar muscle ups when I need to really, you know, do the, the, the box ones. I think as long as, uh, so like the couple of questions I got asked from the coaches this weekend was, you know, like, uh, and some comments I've had before about like gym owners, like not wanting to drill basics with their members because they're afraid that the members are going to get bored and leave and i'm like there's a way that you do it you know you don't like everything that we did every section of of that we did at the seminar was you know you've you've come you've paid a ticket to come and and learn these breakdowns and go through this process of you but if you're running a class all it takes is doing maybe one breakdown in a series in a warm-up and literally just having the whole group do it coming around just giving one individual cue to athlete. If you see a breakdown, elbows in, squeeze a little bit harder, give them a tactile cue, tighten up the belly. Just one round. That's all it takes. It takes it takes two minutes out of the programming, you know? And what it leads to is it leads to better of better quality of movement. But if you rinse and repeat that over several weeks, several months, your the quality of movement from your membership base, like your core members, just goes through the roof. Yeah. And what you're doing is you're giving them what they what they need and what they want. Because what they want is to have a good workout and sweat. But what they also want is to improve and get better and progress and get stronger. And like, I want to be able to do this that I can't do now. But that takes purposeful practice, purposeful coaching, purposeful movement. But you can overdose them on that. You can go too far and yes, spend 20 minutes breaking down the push-up like I did at the seminar. I don't recommend that for, for doing that in classes. I just just take certain snippets, like just the scapular push-up or just the shoulder roll or what have you, and just expose them to that before you throw them into some push-up work. You just literally just, it's, it's bite-sized chunks of coaching sprinkled throughout the weekly programming. Yeah. Yeah. And another area, because I mean, I, I think that that's completely right. And, and, you know, I learned so much as a coach um, that I'll be passing on. There was many things that Alex already programs. And, you know, I think yeah. it's, it's good to see because I hold him in high regard. He was on the show. Um, great, great but yeah, and I mean, to see that, that that's kind of um, uh, certified through other people too. But another thing that I noticed in hindsight now is your seminar, Ido Portal, you know, you see footage of other ones and we don't do it in class, but we do it all the time in seminars when people are teaching us is partner work. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love working out as a guy, John, that I work out with on my morning class normally. And we'll turn as many of the 
skills or whatever into partner. We'll just share a bar deliberately because it motivates us. It kind of pushes, you know, we push each other. Um, but you don't do that. And it was a great opportunity to not only get the members to interact, but also now everyone's holding each other accountable for every single rep, even though the coach is only able to see one person at a time. Spotting all throughout gymnastics. So from the acrobatic side, where it's very important, like you pretty much, that's how you learn skills is through just constant spotting. Progressions, calisthenics, and just basic bodyweight training, you know. Um, you'll see if you watch my stories, the classes that I run just back home, just not seminars, just a regular gymnastics class. I pair them up, we spot, box pull-ups with a spot, you know, um, ELSA training with a spot. It's just this you go, I go thing. It works really well. It gives like you, most CrossFit gyms are going to be like if they want to put on a, a 16 person class or whatever. Well, not every gym has 16 sets of parallettes. No. You know, they might have eight if, if they, if they like quite value the gymnastics side of things, you know, but you know, and not every, like we have six squat racks back, back at CrossFit Vista, you know, and we have 12 pairs people in a class and that's great because it's, Six times two, they just pair up. And we're doing box pull-ups, alts, partner alternating. Just, and I hope that gets across. And I say that at the seminars is, you know, like it's very easy. Just pair people up and get them doing the work with a little bit of a spot. It's, um, it saves time and it also enables the athlete to do just a little bit more work than, um, than they would otherwise normally be able to do. And it also, you know, it's so funny how like some of the members at CrossFit Vista, they're not coaches, they're just members, right? But they're, saying, they're just getting so so good with spotting because I make them do it all the time. And just without realizing now, they're like, they start to give some feedback, you know, like elbows in and stuff. And I just love that. I start hearing some of the members like coach the person they're working with, you know, and they just start helping each other. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and also I noticed with the, with the spotting was you're able to get people in the positions they're supposed to be. Yeah. If there's just that tiny lack of strength, like the the, the um, hands to the, the chest position, um, the chest to bar, should I say, you know, just that little extra push. And then that way you've got that muscle memory. They might not be there yet without that spot, but ultimately you're teaching that movement pattern. So when they get the strength, they know exactly where they're supposed to go. And that was another takeaway for me. Yeah. The other thing is like, you know, going back to what I said, like not everyone has the skill of being able to picture what they look like from the outside in. Um, and with that spot, it's like, you know, someone can quickly see that, you know, oh, the hips are behind the bar or what have you, and they can literally just give a little a pull on the hips or whatever to bring it back or adjust the box for them. It's just it's just great. I, I do think that that is the, one of the reasons why it, probably one of the most popular classes at, at CrossFit Vista is, you know, it's it, not only is it the work that people love to do because they know it's going to get better, but it's also fun. It adds that fun element to it, um, which is hugely important like making gymnastics training fun like gymnastics strength training because it's so frustrating <laughs> and like a lot of it isn't fun but but pairing people up and getting them to go back and forth is a great way to make it fun and like keeps people doing it yeah and the fun is a big thing even with our you know with, with the regular programming at the our gym and one that i teach um is just that i mean you your nucleus is obviously the work that you want to get done but there's a really boring way of doing that and there's a fun way of doing it, like you said. And I think people want to yeah. enjoy and maybe even laugh a little bit at some point yeah, in the class. You know? Absolutely. Like a lot of it is like, it's so down to the coach. Like the coach doesn't make that experience enjoyable. 
the attendance of that class likely drop. The content of the class could be great, but you have to engage. Coaching and fitness and stuff, it is a personal, it's a personal service. Like, and it's what people are paying for. Like, I think sometimes like a lot of CrossFit gyms, they forget that the reason that somebody's paying $160 a month or what have you is for the three C's, you know, coaching, classes, community. But if you're not giving that, like if you're not coaching, you just, here's what we've got today, guys. Well, then they're not getting what they were paying for, you know? And they're not, and a lot of people just think that it's like, oh yeah, well, we'll we charge $160 because we're an affiliate. It's like, no one cares. You've got to do what it's like. You've got to do what you said you were going to do. Yeah, and even we all know CrossFit boxes that have closed down because yeah. the environment wasn't that, you know, and they were teaching probably the same programming or similar than everyone else was. Yeah. Well, why didn't that one work? And it's usually, like you said, it's the the coaching and the community, and those yeah. those two things are interrelated. I think if coaches can do two things better, it's it's be more efficient with the coaching, which is you know everything. I was banging on about that at the seminar so much, you know, like do and explain later if it's needed but you don't need to explain so much and what have you just have the class move keep them moving run them through breakdowns you know and the other thing's making it fun <laughs> like just improve the coaching improve the engagement <sighs> that's your big retention tool um but all, but if you're but if you're pretty good on like social media and I think people need to be now if you're a business owner and you can get that out there into your like local area, people are going to see it and be like, oh yeah, I need to get myself down there. So it's not only a retention tool, but it's actually a great way to grow. Yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's that's what I do with mine. It's not deliberate marketing so much. It's almost for me, it's pride for the people that were in the class. But you know, I'll yeah. always video a few of the movements and a few people doing the movements in, in our class because A, they're proud of themselves when they're, you know, sandbags and sleds and that kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of times they're moving weight they never thought they would move before. And then again, other people from the outside looking in are like, hey, I want to, I want to do that. That looks fun. And exactly like you said, it shouldn't be, you know, the reality is, oh, there's elements that's not fun at all. Yeah. You're going to want to puke. Yeah. But the overall feeling is at the end of the day, we all get together and, you know, it's, it's it is a fun experience. So, all right, well then, because we're we're kind of getting close to where we're going to have to start thinking yeah. about getting you to the, the airport bus. Yeah. Um. Tell me about the the seminar, how people can, yeah, what what it is, and how people can get to that, and then then we'll go to the online coaching. I think the best thing for people to do is just start following me on Instagram, which is at Simon Nealon, S I M O N N I E L A N N I E L A N D. Maybe there's some way you can put that. I don't oh yeah, know. it'll be on yeah right. the, the web page and everything. That's the best thing to do um, because people just need to see the content. I put the content out there because if, if somebody's like needs to be exposed to that stuff, they need to learn all of this stuff. Then they they have. I want them to be able to see it, you know. So just start following me on Instagram. With the seminars, the way that it's working pretty much now is it's pretty easy in Europe. Like if a European gym owner just literally emailed me and say, hey, I want to host a seminar in Paris. It's pretty easy for me to do that. The European audience is... I'm still trying to work out why this is, but it's not only growing really quickly, but also it's what I do is very popular there. 
So if I announce a seminar in France, I'm pretty confident that seminar is going to going to sell tickets very quickly without too much promotion. The USA is a little bit of a different a different animal. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why I came over here just to do one seminar is because once this one seminar is done, a lot of the attendees will go away and talk about it and tell their gym owners and it will start to spread like that, you know, and then it will start to pick up the interest there. Um, and if gym owners want to host, like if they've watched and seen and they followed my content for a few months and they want to host, they just need to reach out and we'll try to organize something. Um, so there's an email address that I can give you as well if they want to do that. Um, and also have the, the online coaching system. So tell me about that because that, that's something that I want to start doing. Um, so uh, what I love about the levels, which I'll get you to talk about in a minute, is like you said, not going back to basics. What strikes me is, okay, so James has got three of the four at this level. Yeah. So I don't need to control, alt, delete my entire movement pattern. But the reason why my handstands are a bit crap and, you know, my bar muscle-ups aren't there yet yeah. is obviously some glaring weaknesses amongst that matrix. So I like the fact that I can, you know, slot myself in where I am, work on that weakness so all all those pillars are there together and then start moving through, you know, uh, progressively. So, so kind of tell me what the, you know, what your online coaching looks like. Uh, okay, so you know how in CrossFit we like to talk about being well-rounded, um, working our weaknesses, bringing ourselves to a, being a better balanced athlete, you know? Well, it's the same in gymnastics. Like people don't often think along those lines because they think, oh yeah, I have a weakness in gymnastics. And it's like, well, and they and they, they identify the weaknesses they have with gymnastics. So, you know, I want to be able to do a muscle up, right? Oh, I can't do muscle ups. That's a weakness. But they don't really, what I'm trying to get across to people is to start thinking along the lines of, okay, well, do you know why you might be experiencing a plateau with ring muscle up strength because you can't else it? Because you have this, you have this weakness elsewhere in gymnastics like look if you know you have a weakness in gymnastics try and find all the weaknesses you have in gymnastics you know and be become well-rounded within the gymnastics modality yeah which is again not just gymnastics though. that's like overall strength yeah. and, and mobility so you know someone comes to me and they they want to learn they have a goal of being able to do a ring muscle up right so what they're expecting is all of the ring muscle up drills and maybe some maybe some strict pull up work you know whatever um and it's like what i'm saying is okay you have a, you have a goal of a ring muscle up but do you also know that you have this hole in your game like you can't else it your compression's not very good like you have some flexibility issues with your compression and your compression strength overhead mobility wrist mobility you can't lock out because of this and this and this and what have you and it's like what I want is athletes that are willing to come into this and look at it as an entire system of training, not just I want a quick result with one movement. You'll probably get that. And you'll get these quick unexpected results across the board because if people come in at like, you know, they have these level two goals of, or a level three goal, let's say, of ring and bar muscle up, but they're missing so many holes in strength at level one. I'm looking for athletes that are like, okay, I'm going to come in at level one make myself more well-rounded and I will see a much better return with the skills that I originally cared about, you know? So basically the system of training is um, getting athletes to identify where they're at and then balancing their abilities, 
so that they can move on without plateaus and without having to go backwards like I did. Um, if an athlete's not willing to do that, like so I talked about playing the long game, playing the short game. So I'm I'm playing the long game with my athletes. I'm making a long-term investment in in it, like, you know, in my energy that I give to them and the, um, the coaching that I give to them and the time that I spend with them. And I'm like, I'm nurturing them over a long term and taking them from A to B. But if an athlete wants to play the short game with me, it's not a relationship that's going to work. Yeah, so a short game, you're like, hey, I've got two weeks for a competition. Give me, what are the hacks? That's Give me the hacks. Yeah, I typically don't reply to those emails because, <laughs> because what's going to happen is the athlete's going to, the athlete will pretty much end up leaving the system one way or another. So they'll, they can come in and I can give them all the coaching and they'll get that result, that quick result. But then what will happen is after the competition, they will, I can't do it. I've lost it. I've lost it. And it's like, it's because you stopped doing all the drills and you didn't get stronger. You just did the drills, you know. But in order for you to uh, gain something and keep it and keep building off of it, your strength has to continue to improve and you can't have weaknesses. You just, you just don't know with an athlete, like the, the inability to keep the shoulders pushed down on an L sit or the inability to keep the shoulders pulled down in a pull up. How much of an effect that's going to have on whether or not an athlete can adapt to muscle up drills or not. I know it's going to have a huge, a huge impact. But if the athlete's not willing to clean up those things from the very beginning, they may get a quick result, but then they'll plateau and go backwards. And they won't know why. And so they end up leaving the system, you know? So I'm basically looking to say, hey, athletes, if you want to play the long game and you want to keep progressing, as long as you're willing to start, you know, at a sensible point, you know, you're not overestimating your abilities and you're not ignoring glaring weaknesses, I can take you all the way. (laughs) And I want to do that, you know? But it does require the athlete to be at a certain point of readiness, a certain point of commitment level, um, in order for that to happen. But this it's a system of training that spans over three levels. It basically, if you were to start at the beginning with zero strict pull-ups, it'll take you all the way to at the end of level three, five of each bar and ring. And there's a level, there's a level four that not many people are doing right now. That's kind of like where athletes that are competing regularly, you know, with like butterfly and butterfly chest to bar, that would be that level. Um, at that point though, um, it's that's a very that's probably like the shortest level you know level two would probably be the longest one level four would be the shortest one so there's not as many people doing it but um it's basically anyone at the minute the way that people can come into that is they can request a consultation with me where if they uh they uh this is one of the things i'll be doing as soon as i get back i have a seminar next weekend but then i have this questionnaire that they're going to fill out they'll have they'll have to go through an assessment where they'll have to fill out videos of them performing certain movements because they may think that they're a level two athlete and I'm coming back and I'm saying, look, you these positions, you need to work on these at level one in order for you to make the improvements, you know? So that'll be the, that'll be the process of it. It's a coaching system. People pay for coaching. I'm not a, here's a program and away you go because that doesn't work, you know? It might work in the short term, but in the long term, an athlete's not really going to get what they want, you know? So, uh, yeah, and there's like 180 people doing it now. So there's this big community. We've got me and another coach that are providing the feedback with the group athletes. And then I have my individual athletes that I'm working with every session as well. There's various options. People can go to the site and have a look and have a read. What's What do we work on at each level? 
what do you need to be at with each level, the varying options of coaching that you can choose. Not everyone can afford to have my individual attention on every training session every week. Um, but there are, but, if you, but I want to make coaching affordable for everyone. So there are group coaching options where you can get feedback on select things and look at feedback that other people are getting from other coaches and stuff. You can get come in there or you can literally just have the program and the, um, uh, sorry, you can have that or you can even have like monthly reviews. Right. You know, where okay, it's so like, you've got, you've got all different types of options and then, and then frequency yeah. is, is different too, isn't it? You can have some where it's yeah. longer, more intense. Yeah. Everybody, everybody has different schedules, you know, and it's like in an ideal world, an athlete would train gymnastic strength training three days a week with maybe a, a fourth smaller session, but not everybody can do that. Not everybody wants to do that. Some people are ready to make those changes, but they're not ready to commit that much time to it. So I have other formats training two days a week, training doing a, a higher frequency program where people would train, you know, like the doing a little bit of work after a class program, if that's all you're allowed to do at your gym. Um, well, I have an option for that. Um, yeah. That's basically it. There used to be a free trial of programming. It's not there anymore because I actually think that it was doing more damage than good because people would look at that and it's, it's just some programming. It's nothing like what SYN Gymnastics actually is, which is a system of coaching, a system of progression, a, and a, a usable app with an interface and stuff like that. But they just, I just couldn't figure out a way to put that out there for free. So now I'm at the point where, well, do you know what? I'm just going to use the Instagram platform as a way of putting out all of this stuff so, to give people the confidence and the awareness. And then they can come in and request some time with me if they're serious, you know. Um, and um, that's basically it now. Now, as far as equipment, so I've got my garage back there. I've got a pull-up bar. I've got rings. Yeah. Um, what? And correct me if I'm wrong. What it seems like from you know what we used today or this weekend was if and if you have this in most fire stations, if you have a bar somewhere and, and somewhere to hang some rings and, and an open space to do push-ups and maybe you know a box, it seems like a pretty low equipment um, environment too. So it would be easy for people to have that set up in their house, their fire station, their police fitness room? Yeah. Um, basically, the, the equipment that you need is a box, a barbell, a squat rack. So you can adjust the height of the barbell on that squat rack to do things like box pull-ups, um, a set of rings. Um, and then it's a hand. That's pretty much it in terms of like the equipment that you definitely need having things like dumbbells every now and again there's some dumbbell exercises or exercises you'll need fractional plates for pvc pipes to do dislocations and wooden dowel rods ideally if we're adding weight to it little bits and pieces like that you know um, but the meat and potatoes of the program you can do the what you pretty much need is a set of rings depends what level you're coming at you know, as well but you don't need high rings if you're doing level one programming and you could get away with not having a set of low rings either. You, um, the thing that you need the most of is, is the barbell and the squat rack and a box. Yeah. So it's minimal really. And most, it's most, very minimal and you don't need a lot of space. Yeah. And the most garage gyms are going to have that. And then, yeah, fit the fire station. And yeah, so. And then, like, and then what, what I will be doing is obviously some I'll be able to do here and some I have to go to the gym. But if you can do two-thirds of your programming outside the gym on different days and that frees you up for yeah you know other stuff too so yeah absolutely um it's a pretty good system it's 
it's vastly different to what it was three months ago astronomically different to what it was a year ago it's a system that you just constant like the, the the message is there the material is is similar it's just it's just constantly improving and getting better and giving giving the people the athletes more and more and more of what they need you know it's very different to coaching someone one-on-one you know one-on-one it's very much a case of i can kind of take take care of everything but online it's like that video needs to have a setup instruction in it needs to specifically tell the athlete where do you set that bar bar needs to be at sternum height is in a one-on-one <laughs> if i just like give you a video with an exercise it's like you have to figure all that out and it's like well now the videos it's one of the reasons why i got i learned how to edit like i learned how to edit videos because it's like i knew that i was going to have to create videos that were, would have instructions on them which is basically like what you get in a personal training session right Tell that put it the height of your chest well they need that in that video they need to be told you know where's the where's the setup you know so it's it's just constantly constantly uh getting the work that's required over to the athlete in a clearer way and making the community side of things just just way more engaging and you know getting the athletes held more accountable and sharing their work more and bringing more people into because the busier i get sometimes that means that the i have less time to do some of like a lot of the coaching stuff so i've brought in another coach to help take some of that work off you know and if i if i'm like it's great i wake up in the morning and it's like i've seen athletes have been sharing videos and stuff and he's been on it and he's been giving feedback and it's like oh it feels so amazing because otherwise i'm just sat there and i'm like okay i've got to go through all of these now and they the athlete's been sat there and they haven't had that feedback yet and now i know it's being taken care of so it's a, it's a really good system now um and in, in another three or four months it'll be even better <laughs> Yeah, so it's the seminars and the online coaching. Perfect. All right, well, I'm going to ask a few wrap-up questions so we can uh, yeah, sure. get you to the airport. <laughs> um, first one I always ask, is there a book that you love to recommend? It can be about what we've talked about today or something completely different. You know, oh, a book. Um, books that I've read that have been really impactful on me. Um, it's weird how like, I've, I've read more articles on like, fitness and stuff that's kind of like how i i remember as, as, a, as a trainer i was i read a lot of like you ever heard a guy called pavel satsalin oh yeah, yeah. kettlebell god yeah. i used to read so many of his articles back in the day you know um but books i'm not sure if he ever released a book you know um i think he did simple and sinister i think was one he's, he's got a few people are really interested in like the gymnastic side of things christopher summer from gymnastic bodies like he used to write loads of uh loads of content back in the day that i used to really like um but books i don't know there's a book that's <laughs> i don't know if you even need to read it but the title of the book is called the myth of talent and the power of practice the reason that i say i don't know if you even need to read it is because i feel like what took in that book it was like it was really eye-opening for me they basically talk about the concept of how people think if they see someone like a tiger woods they think it's all talent guy's naturally talented he's just this natural phenomenon you know and it's like actually what you're what you're seeing what you're witnessing is thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of practice from a from a certain age like if a, if a child has all these practice hours purposeful practice practice hours right like the age of eight and what have you this is what you when this is when you start to see phenomenons you know and it's like people think that it's talent 
just so talented but actually it's just this the amount of practice that's gone in yeah that's a good one um yeah do you know this is i feel do you know what i feel like i feel this is one of those questions i'm gonna go away and i'll be on the plane later and i'll be like oh why didn't i say that book oh, just just email me and <laughs> let me know yeah all right it's, it's just can't it's can't come to me right now <laughs> no worries that's good though um i haven't heard that book recommended before so what about uh film favorite film oh wow fight club comes to mind you know but it's not supposed to be talking about that right <laughs> Yeah, it's, it still just t- stands the test of time, though. Like, I mean, it's just one of those films that, I don't know, like the message behind it, I still feel like that message is relevant now. Still. Um, yeah, films Fight Club, um, Gangs of New York. Just, big, I'm a huge Tarantino fan, or I was. I mean, I, I am a Tarantino fan. I absolutely love it. The Kill Bill films is like, you know, it's one of those films that I could almost put on any time and still love it you know the last few kind of been a bit disappointed like not really felt like you know but i love the tarantino films yeah brilliant what about documentary any of those that you've seen that you love oh blimey um with fitness oh man um Tell you what, I actually watched recently was uh, the one about El Capitan, the guy who free solo. Free solo, yeah, excellent. I love that. Just kind of, yeah, just that whole thing of like the guy had that need to do it. There are again documentaries. There are other ones that I've just found absolutely fascinating. There's uh, this this stuff on I got like documentaries, stuff on YouTube that I've watched before, like with regards to like nutrition and stuff. And the guy's like giving a lecture um, about it about the way that you know just like proteins work and stuff like that i forget the name of it but like documentaries that you could find on netflix i don't know i uh, i mean a lot of people who are listening to me into crossfit and you know so many of them will have watched the crossfit documentaries about throning fraser the most recent one i think which is like redeemed and dominant and stuff but i think very few would have seen the like the very one of the very first ones which was called every second every second counts which is from our era like is around about the 2008 games um and it follows like some of the og athletes like uh josh everett and uh matt chan jason Kleeper. actually no they weren't following jason Kleeper because at the time he was a he was an unknown he just came in and just won the clean and jerk at the end and everyone was looking at chris spieler and uh, you know but then and then Jason just finishes his workout and then the camera just turns on him and then like literally like, over the next three years he becomes one of the biggest names you know in CrossFit but yeah every second counts I uh, I could more easily watch that than I could some of the more recent ones I don't know it's weird how you kind of like I still have like more of a fondness for some of the old the old OG CrossFit athletes than I do some of the more recent ones I don't know it's just that whole it was when I was getting into it Exactly. And it was, you know, there was so little guidance back then. I mean, they were basically pioneer, pioneering everything, yeah. you know, I mean, because I mean, obviously there were, don't get me wrong, there were specialists in all the fields that make it up, gymnastics, powerlifting, that, you know, were the experts, but the average person wasn't really exposed to that community yet. So tell you what, I definitely think a lot of readers should do is go back and read through a lot of the CrossFit Journal articles. You know, there's some gems in there, like gems of knowledge that Sometimes when I'm reading them, I, I kind of one like I kind of 
whether it was just a marketing thing, the way that CrossFit ended up where it is. But a lot of the messaging in some of those articles is like really good. And it makes you think about why certain things happen in CrossFit the way that they, the way that they did, you know. Um, that or a lot of things got missed out. Like a lot of good messages about training and stuff and a lot of information about, which you just didn't see it. You know, they were in these readable formats, but you just didn't really ever see it when it came to like, you know, it took the individual experts from fields coming in to talk about it. It was never talked about with some of the, you know, like people putting out the content from the early days. It's, you know, helpful things that would have been really helpful for athletes. It's just, yeah. Well, maybe that's the problem is that just because one person in our community understands that and writes about it doesn't mean that all the coaches around do. And that's what I found is that as coaches, we, we've been through a real metamorphosis and had to learn because you know, like you said with the personal training you do your two-day class and oh i'm a personal trainer now and if that's all you've ever done you're not a personal trainer at all <laughs> no, and the irony is there's people out there that don't have any pieces of paper that are better than 95 yeah. percent of the oh, people totally. with pieces of paper so totally i mean i really don't have a lot of letters after my name but i have a lot of coaching hours yeah exactly all right so next question is there a person that you would recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders and military of the world. Wow. I don't know. You had, uh, you had, have you interviewed Chris Hinshaw? Um, not yet. He's supposed to be coming on through Chad Vaughan, mm-hmm. but, um, oh, yeah, he's a guy one. like, you know, he's got a bit of a, bit of a history and now he's doing a lot with, He's doing a lot in the CrossFit world. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like an ex Iron Man. Yeah, big endurance champion. guy. Yeah, big endurance guy. Yeah. Um probably got a lot of a lot of interesting nuggets that you know a lot of your listeners would be really interested in hearing yeah. about training and for endurance and stuff like that. Yeah. For the gymnastics side. Do you know what? There's I mean, you've already, you've said you've been to an Edo Portal seminar. He was a big, like, he was pretty much played a huge part. I mean, he wouldn't know, but, but he played a huge part in me transitioning from um, the way that I train now, which was, it used to be all CrossFit. Everything was for CrossFit. I do the gymnastics train to be better at CrossFit now. I'm doing it because I'm looking for better quality of movement. I'm looking for better skill progression training to some things that don't get tested in CrossFit, you know? And uh, the way that he looks at things and he has an interesting background, he's basically gone, taken all these mentors, gymnastics people, hand balances, acrobatics, dancers and stuff, and he's just kind of put it into this one uh, thing that he has, you know, which is kind of like, you could probably say he's like responsible for movement culture, the start of movement culture, what have you, and you know, but that methodology I find crazy. And I know you've done a seminar. I don't know if you'd be able to get him on the podcast, but I'm still trying. I think I'm hoping I might have a better chance. Like when he was working with um, Conor McGregor and, yeah. you know, obviously he had a, um, a larger platform. I'm sorry, his platform is still large, but I don't know if, if maybe he'll have more time now. One of his students, um, Matt Bernstein, who's a retired fireman, um, uh, that's his studio is where the, the seminar was. Um, 
you know, I've had him on, so I'd, I'd love to. Yeah, tell you what, who's really good, like from the bodybuilding side, is um, oh God, what's his name? Ben Pakolsky. He's an American guy. Now he's a bodybuilder, but the stuff that he will come out with, you'll find fascinating. The way that he coaches, you know, um, when it comes to breaking down isolating muscle and joint actions and like training stimulus and he'll have so much to say about recovery like so much of like what i know about muscle and like roles of muscle and stuff like i just like he just his content is amazing like the stuff that he makes and stuff you can reach out to him and like i wouldn't say he's like i mean i'm pretty i'm pretty sure he's like a compete competes or competed at bodybuilding at a very high level so we're talking like, you know, I think he's going for the, I think he was at one point when I was, when I was binging on his content a lot, he was going for the Olympia. Um, and you'd think like, you know, like an Olympia, you know, someone who was going for the Olympia wouldn't have all of this instructional content and stuff like that. But he does, he has so much. There's loads of like fitness pros that have big like YouTube audience and stuff that work with him. And because his coaching is just insane at the level of it. And you'd love to have him on if you could get it. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, that's what I see, and it, it may come across sometimes as you know demonizing bodybuilding. That's not the case at all. It's just the yeah. for me, it's the from the functional tactical athlete. If you're just using the bodybuilding machines specifically, there's some incredible bodybuilders that did all kinds of compound movements with barbells that you know. Um, but it's just the machines don't carry over well to my audience if that's all you do because we're picking up living, breathing things and moving them around. Um, all right, so then the, the very last thing before we get you over to the airport, what do you do to decompress when you're not coaching? And <laughs> Yeah, so the big thing I do is like, you know, like people, like me time is like, I'd say like the hour or the hour and a half before I go to sleep is I just, I'll get my phone out and I'll just, or, I'll, or my tablet or something and I'll just like watch something that's completely unrelated to fitness chess or i don't know um poker poker tournaments is a big interested of a big interested of mine before i found fitness golf golf instructional videos just or watching uh, uh the pga tour uh highlights or something just just something completely away from fitness it just helps me switch off from thinking about the business thinking about fitness it makes my eyes get heavy and uh i get and that's that is what you meant right yeah no exactly switching off yeah. from yeah exactly I think, that's, I think it's huge like being able to switch off you know before like switching on and switching off you know I don't, I don't think it's healthy to I've heard some people you know like getting up at 3am and have that feeling that they need to get to work and write things down and stuff like that you know I don't know how healthy that is like I wake up in the morning and I'm switched on to do whatever it is I'm doing that day. And at the end of the day, I need to switch off by doing something completely unrelated. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So people can find your best places then through Instagram at Simon Neeland. Yeah. The whole podcast thing I'm really interested in. You know, you might see me starting one. No, please. <laughs> the guy at the gym that we run it, we're, we're talking about doing it. But yeah, Instagram is where I put all my content on. Brilliant. All right. Well, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the seminar. Um, and then thank you for taking an hour and a half to reach out to everyone and put even more knowledge out there. And like I said, I, I was, uh, 
brought to you by Kathleen who brought the, yeah. the seminar to here. So thank you to her too. Yeah, thanks, um, But the way you coach coming from someone who's done CrossFit for 12 years and been, you know, in fitness my whole life basically, um, it was it was really, really cool to see how it was broken down and, you know, there's a whole array of seminars and people out there. But yeah. I mean, I, have, I hand on heart really say thank awesome. you so much. It was excellent. Thanks, mate. Cheers. All right. Thanks for having me. Cheers. No worries.